Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. So, I'm going to be starting a series on 1 Peter, and I thought it would be starting this week, but I feel as though in speaking with people, we have so many brand new believers, and I want to talk about the, the power of the basics of our life. You know, there was a book that was written, everything I, I learned that I needed for life, I learned in kindergarten. Do you ever you remember that book? Um, I think everything I've learned for my spiritual life, I learned in Sunday school. Yes. I mean, it's so easy to forget the basics, isn't it? And I'm going to be talking about baptism today, but also just to remind us all that this is a, a marker. It is a milestone in our lives, our baptism. As important as your baptism was on the day that you were baptized, it remains to be such a marker for the rest of your life. It is something that you should be referring to throughout your life, the marking of your baptism. So when we're thinking about that, you know, we realize in the scriptures that God's really not that into rituals, um, where we practice some, they're called rites, R-I-T-E-S, the rites that churches practice. And in Christianity, many rituals have come in. And there are many things that we do that might not even be biblical. I, I'm not saying they're contradict biblical, but they are not necessarily mandated of us. And there are some issues with rituals. And rituals, um, the, the weaknesses of it is that you can come to church and you can do certain things out of routine. And Eventually, it can become dull, um, boring. People become actually a tendency towards hypocrisy because you can come into the gathering and you do or say particular things. And at the end of it, no one even questions, but is what I confess or is what I did consistent with how I'm living? And so there's power in keeping everything vital. But when you think about there are physical things that we've introduced to the church that you can do in order to, um, to, to speak your faith. And, and believe me, I'm not, I'm not against rituals. As long as you keep your heart warmed and on fire for God, there's, there's truth that resides in them. But here's what um, we understand, that in the Bible, there's, there's only two that are given to us to practice. Two mandates that come from the Lord Jesus. One of them is baptism, and the other one is communion. There are two things that God has asked us to do in the physical realm in order to be an expression of what's going on in the spiritual realm. So in all of that, I just want to remind all of us, you can even take communion, though, that was given to us as a physical sign that we actually participate in physically to remind ourselves of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can become routine in that. And we can just take the communion. It's because that's what we do at this point in the service. The same thing can happen with our baptism. We got saved, and what we did was then we checked it off the list. Okay, I was baptized. I'm good to go now for, for the next step of obedience. And I want to talk about that for just a moment because I want us to know that even though it's a very physical thing that we do, it is a very spiritual expression before God. And it is, a, it is an eternal expression before God. And that's why it's so important. Baptism is much more than, than, than Jesus just saying, this is something that you can do to wash your sins away. This is something that you can do in order to be forgiven. 
But before we go there, I want to say this, is that baptism is so closely tied to your salvation in the New Testament that it actually says some things that would make it sound as though in order to be forgiven, you have to be baptized. Why would it make that suggestion? I mean, seriously, think about it. Pause for a moment and ask yourself this question. Do you actually believe that you can take a person and you can immerse them in water and bring them back out and suddenly they're forgiven? Is this a work, a righteous work that we can do to get God to forgive us? Well, no, it's not that. But here's, here's what we need to understand. The Lord saw that what happens to us at our salvation, where we meet Jesus Christ, that part of that process it's so critical, this thing called baptism, the baptism in water, that listen to this as I read it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter had just come out from the upper room baptizing the Holy Spirit on fire for God. When they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, we find out that they began to speak in tongues and they began to prophesy and the power of God was released in his life. And Peter, who had denied the Lord, steps outside in the crowd and suddenly he's a very bold man empowered by the Holy Spirit. As everyone is witnessing what the Holy Spirit is doing through these people that they know, the people are beginning to wonder, what has happened to them? What is this power of God that has come upon them? And can I get some of this? So Peter gives them a formula. He says, repent and each of you be baptized. That's interesting. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That verse would seem to suggest to us, get, repent and get baptized to be forgiven of your sins. And I want us to challenge ourselves to understand, it is not about baptism making you right with God. It is about that when the New Testament church, if someone got saved, they said, you've given your heart to Jesus. Your life has been transformed. And Jesus has given this symbol, this, this practice that we can do as part of that um, glory and process of being saved now. So I, I'm saying all that is because it's important for us to know your baptism is important and the Bible links it to the process that happens at the beginning of your coming to Christ. But we also know at the same time that the baptism doesn't save us because we think about it. Jesus was baptized. Did Jesus need to get it saved? No, there was something else that was going on at that moment. When you think about the thief that was hanging on the cross, as Jesus died on the cross, there was a thief to the right and a thief to the left. Both of them started mocking out Jesus, mocking Jesus as they were hanging there on the cross. But at one point, one of the thieves to Jesus' side was looking at him and he's thinking, this man is not dying like any ordinary man. This man is someone else. And here's a man on the cross being confronted with a spirituality that he hadn't seen before. And he realized that something greater was dying next to him. Dying in such a way that he himself could not die. And as his arms were stretched out, 
a man was given one last chance to get into heaven, to have his sins forgiven. And in that place, you all understand, you cannot, you cannot do anything for God when your hands and your feet are nailed to a cross. There's nothing you can do. But all he can do is say this, Jesus, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? That's it. All he could do was say something. Excuse me. I'm a thief. I've got a record that's so bad that everyone wants to kill me. I've been found guilty, and I'm getting what I deserve. There's nothing good I can do for God in this position. But Jesus, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? That little confession. Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Could he get baptized like this? No. Baptism isn't necessary for your salvation. What is necessary? The acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in salvation. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. When you think about that scripture verse right there, the Bible says there's two, two ways to come to God. First off, believe from your heart. That gives me a lot of peace. I know people that have come to Jesus and they're like, I don't get the whole thing about creation, the whole seven days. I don't get why there's evil on the earth, that there's a God that exists. I got all these questions that are going in my mind, and, and yet something happens to them. The mind is questioning, but the heart is drawn. And they realize, I don't have to have all the answers to come to Christ. I believe from my heart. You begin to sense the Spirit of God moving upon your heart. And with your heart, you believe. And that's why some of us, even today, all, we'll still have questions in our mind. I can't reconcile some things that have been taught in the scriptures. I can't reconcile at all. But one thing I know, my heart got touched by God. And we continue to believe from our heart. And then he says we confess with our mouth. The Bible says that the tongue is the most unruly member in the body. It is so selfish and self-serving. So you have to understand this. God just asks this, will you take the most unruly member of your body and submit your will and let the words come out of your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord and he's my Savior. It all comes down to a matter of the will and surrender and control to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want us to know that baptism doesn't save a man and it's a beautiful picture when you're baptized of your sins being washed away like in the river, but that's not what does it. How I would describe baptism for us today is to understand that our baptism is a physical marker and a milestone on our life. 
It's a place where we drive a stake into the ground in memorial to the most powerful and loving thing that has ever happened to us in our life. When you read about the Old Testament characters, we would find out that when they had a God encounter, what would they do? They'd build an altar out of stones. They would just stack up stones. Sometimes it was just taking 12 stones to remember the 12 tribes of Israel and God's faithfulness to them. And they would stack up this stone as a memorial, either to a, an encounter with God or with the covenant that, they gave, that he gave them at that moment. I can't help but think about Jacob. Jacob was a man who was, his name means cheater, and he lived up to his name. And actually, when his brother was wanting to murder him because Jacob was such a cheater, cheated him out of his birthright, that he leaves his household, he has an encounter with the God of heaven, and what does he do? He makes a little stack of stones right there. And then guess what he did? He went on this huge, after his God encounter, went on this huge, circuitous route of cheating and being cheated. But you know what he had the whole time? He had a stack of stones that reminded him that God gave him a promise and he had a covenant with God. When a man or a woman gets saved, they get baptized. You know what that is? That's a marker. Why did Jesus make it physical? Because he knew sometimes we can get in such a space where we're so not spiritual that he gives us a moment that we can look back to and say, man, I, after I gave my heart to Jesus, I got so far off track, but here's the truth. There's a stack of stones. There's a baptism that promises me I can get way off track, but he'll never leave me or forsake me. I'm telling you, our baptism is a symbol to heaven. It's a symbol to our brothers and sisters in Christ, a physical sign. This is now a family member. And it's also a symbol to hell. Satan, you don't own that person anymore. And that's what it's all about. That's why I'm saying today your baptism is as important to you as the day you were baptized. It is actually the moment at which you said, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. When you think about it, Jesus didn't even get baptized until he was 30 years old. 30 years old. What were you waiting for, Jesus? You said to do it is to fulfill all righteousness. That's what you told John the Baptist. He goes to John when he's 30 years old, and John says, wait, I shouldn't be baptizing you. I have need that you baptize me. And Jesus said, no, John, we have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus at 30, why not 20, Jesus? Why not 15? You certainly could have known by then whether you wanted to be baptized or not. Why 30? Well, for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he didn't preach his sermons and he didn't heal anybody or do any miracles. But when he was baptized, he, drew, he drove a stake into the ground of his life, he put a mile marker on his life. And at that point, he was declaring, he didn't need to get saved to be and baptized. He was declaring, from this mark on my life, from here on out, 
I will fulfill completely the calling and the purpose and the destiny of the Father upon my life. And his baptism said, from here on out, I am full on in for the heavenly Father, whether by life or by death, I live for him. And he knew it was a marker from this point, I'm heading to the cross. From this point, my baptism it's so amazing. We, we have to even remind ourselves that our baptism becomes our message. Did you know your baptism is your message? A lot of people don't understand that from the moment of Jesus' baptism, and can I remind everyone that he was being baptized, and when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit, as an appearance, in the appearance as of a dove, descended on him, and it settled upon him. And from that moment on, Jesus preached that event. He just told his story. That's all Jesus asks of you. Doesn't ask you to be some, you know, lettered, theologian. He's not asking you to, to, to be a pastor. He's asking you this. Just go out and share the story Amen. of your encounter with God. Amen. Because in Luke chapter 4, starting to read in verse 16, he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the good news. When you realize in that passage, what was Jesus basically doing? He's just telling them, you wouldn't believe what happened at my baptism. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me. and He anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. It's such a simple message. We think that he was trying to declare something lofty. but No, he was telling them, here's what the Bible promised. And at my baptism, it happened. So that people could know that now on the earth, the Spirit of God is going to be coming upon men and women. And their body would be the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. Now he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. His baptism was the launch to his God given purpose. I want to help us all to think today. Your baptism, your coming to Christ, was your launch 
into God's purpose for your life. When Jesus was baptized, it actually became the release of his authority with God. At your baptism, which is your salvation, it is the release that from now on, I walk in the calling, the authority, the anointing, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Heaven is on my side. When you are baptized, remembering three witnesses, heaven, earth, and hell. And when heaven saw it, Heaven acknowledged his baptism and poured out upon him the Spirit of God to be able to fulfill what God had called him to do. And the same thing is true for us. It's the place in which we point when anything or anyone tries a question, who are you to speak of God? Oh, so you think you're a Christian? Oh, so now I suppose you think you're perfect? Anything that would question our authority of God. When, when those times get so intense, and sometimes they are, who are you to speak up for Jesus? The Lord gave you something very physical to do. Point at your baptism and say, in that place, I marked my life for God. Devil, stop your lies. I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I have obeyed him and followed him into baptism. It is Jesus who qualifies me. Never forget your baptism. No matter how far you got out there, bring it back to your confession. I'd like to move to another thought about baptism in Romans chapter 6, starting to read verses 1 to 7. Let me just set a little format for this uh, teaching of the Apostle Paul. People were getting saved. Romans were getting saved. And they said, man, when I got saved and when I got forgiven, it was so powerful. I never experienced the power of God like that. You know what? When I got saved and my sins were forgiven, a grace, an unmerited favor fell upon me at the moment of my salvation. So, you know, it begs the question, well, from where do we go now? And some people have begun to teach, this sounds crazy. But they said, since we experienced such a powerful encounter with God and grace when we got saved, Here's a thought. We should keep on sinning because the more we sin, the more we'll experience the grace of God. Nice try. How long do you think the Apostle Paul let them get away with that? The Apostle Paul just looked at him and thought, this is ridiculous. It runs contrary to everything that has happened to you. A man who's truly born again of the Spirit of God is not looking for excuses to sin. He's looking for ways to become more like Christ. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he addresses it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? The Lord just gives us this amazing picture that when you and I came to Christ, we died to sin. Did you know that we were once slaves to sins and now the scripture says, well, we are slaves to God? 
How amazing is that? In, in other words, it's saying this, the engine of sin that used to work in you has now been replaced by the engine of righteousness that wants to do what's right for God. He says, don't you know if you came to Christ, that old man died? What is in the nature of a man before he comes to Christ? He is defined by what this world has told him he is. Good or bad? If it was bad, it probably made you feel constant shame. If it was good, it probably made you an arrogant son of a gun. But the thing in all of that is this world defines us in such a way that it alienates us from God. And the Bible is wanting to let us know that, hey, so many people are still defined by their childhood. Dad, mom, crazy sibling, cousin, school experience, teacher that didn't like him and said something that crushed their spirit, college, jobs, so many ways by which people have become defined. And the Bible says this, when you came to Christ, don't you realize that that guy died? That man defined by the things of this world, limited ways, limited thinking, not even be able to dream the possibilities of what you could be in God. He says next, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We have been baptized into his death, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. What we need to understand here, and I know that again, once again, it's tying our water baptism so close to our salvation, it seems like there's one and the same, but there's some great things to learn in the nuance of all of this, is that what the Bible is saying is that it's addressing that you are being baptized, you have been baptized into Christ, the person of Christ. Now, this afternoon, we will baptize in water, but it's a symbol of being baptized in Christ. What does the word baptism mean? Now, the secular meaning of that word, at the time when it was adopted as this, to be baptized, is to be immersed, is to be plunged. It means to drown. When you came to Christ, you were immersed in him. You were plunged into him. You were drowned in him. You and he were in, uh, have been once and for all placed in an inseparable position. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. When you are baptized, your identity in the same way, if we took a person and held them under the water, they from that moment on, and you kept them there, they would die and they would be identified as dead. And when you came to Christ, you were permanently identified with Christ. Your identity has shifted 
from being the person influenced by this world and you have been resurrected to the person that has been influenced by Christ. Christ is all in you and you are all in Christ. You cannot be anything other than seen as a person in Christ. When you got saved, you were for eternity marked. And as a person, we put on their gravestone, died 1965. For all eternity, what will be written over your life is came to Christ in 2022. It'll be the most important marking of your life. You've been baptized into his death, buried with him through baptism into death. And your identity is new. Jesus talked about this when a man named Nicodemus came to him in the middle of the night and he asked, the question started to move towards the ideas, how is someone going to see the kingdom of God? It was a heaven question. And Nicodemus, Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. A, a new beginning that counters the first beginning. Nicodemus said to him, how can a person be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born Again, so when Nicodemus was wondering, how does a man get into heaven? Jesus said, you got to be born of water and you got to be born of the spirit. The first birth, he said, is what is a flesh is flesh. When a, when a person is born from their mother's womb, the water breaks. They are born in water. And Jesus says you can be born in water, but you, if you want to get to heaven, you have to have a second birth. You've got to be born of the spirit. There has to be a spiritual birth in you. Now listen, ritual and rite and just calling yourself a Christian isn't going to be made, make it happen. You have to have where the Holy Spirit moves upon your heart. You are convicted of the way that you have lived. You repent and you come to the Lord and place your faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to help you to understand today when I baptize people, this is the symbolism of their salvation of what's going on. I will place my hand behind their back with my other hand. I will hold their forearm. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to declare that the person that was born in water is now dead. And when I bring them back up, it is the declaration witnessed in heaven that now they are born again of the Spirit of God. It's so amazing when we think about what has happened. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a scripture so familiar, therefore if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things pass away, behold, the new things have come. I, I want to say this in this context, is that if, if you have come to Christ, baptized into Christ, followed in that obedience to being baptized in water, the Lord is saying that what is being resurrected is completely the you not some Christian you compartment, not some spiritual you compartment. I'm saying the full you 
is a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have been positioned in this life not to try to fix up the old man, but to live in the new creation, Christ. That's what you're postured for. If you don't understand that you are completely righteous in Jesus Christ and completely forgiven, I asked every person getting, getting baptized this week, do you know that your sins are forgiven? Everybody hesitated because we feel like it's too presumptuous. Every candidate. When you don't know that you are completely forgiven, you are trying to do the Christian life from a posture that is not firm ground. You can't get your legs underneath you. But when you know this is not me trying to fix up the old me, but no, this is me now repositioned to walk in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Amen. That's who I am. This, you know what? If you think I just got to make myself better, you will fail every time. Every time. You've got to know that the Lord has promised to us that he, he has positioned us for good works. You have been created for good works. All right? If, 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 you were, if you were a vacuum cleaner wanting to be a lawnmower, I don't care what happens, you're not going to be able to mow your lawn with your vacuum cleaner. That vacuum cleaner has got to be changed into a lawnmower if it wants to mow the lawn. If you want to be a child of darkness, you're not going to be able to become a child of light unless you've been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you stand strong. Forget that confessing who you used to be, feeling like you need to, to fix it up. I've shared this before, but I had once a friend, very gifted ministry-wise, and this is like 30 years ago, very strong gifting. He had a few things, though, in his character that was holding him back. And one man said this to him, and I was there, and I was mortified. It was my friend. We were both young. And he says, you know, we, most look, we look at people and we'll say, wow, you know, yeah, they got tons of trouble, but I see a streak of gold in them. In other words, there's worth some investment there. And, but then he went on to tell my friend, and he said this, but you know what I see you as because of all of your spiritual gifts and how amazing you are at ministry? I see you as a lump of gold, but I see this vein of dirt running through it. And I'm going to tell you something. That kind of word released into a man's heart will get him to focus on some Word of having a streak of dirt through him, and he will never be able to overcome it. You cannot believe that you're dirt with a streak of gold. You cannot, Christian, believe that you're gold with a streak of dirt. You've got to believe that you are pure gold in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. You have to know it. If you want to get your legs underneath you, that's where your only place your, your, faith, is safe, your faith is safe to land. In verse 5, it says this, If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I want you to know something. There's some truth in that. When you came to Christ, he said you were in the likeness of his death. You know what? There's a lot of Christians walking around in the likeness of his death. 
Oh, he was so weak. He was so vulnerable. He was hungry and he's thirsty. And if Jesus was hungry and thirsty, then no wonder I'm hungry and thirsty. And, and he had all of his friends forsook him. No wonder everybody's forsaken me. And we just go through the, he says, if you were in the likeness of his death, you need to know this. That if you die with Christ, that you are now raised up in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. What was thirsty was thirsty no more. What was hungry was hungry no more. What was weak was weak no more. What could die a death is replaced by eternal life inside of you. You have to understand. We have to understand. We are in the likeness of his resurrection. So this beautiful thing is going to happen this afternoon. We're going to have people in the river. And we're going to bury them in the likeness of death, of Christ, and we're going to raise them up in the likeness of the resurrection power so that for the rest of their lives, no matter what they face, they could say, I have a visible marker, and I drove the stake in the ground, and at that point of meeting Christ is all my confidence. It's not in myself at all. It's completely in Christ. So let me wrap up with just a story in the Bible that will help bring so much clarity. As you might know, the children of Israel, the people of God that God had a purpose for, they were in Egypt, and they needed to be delivered from Pharaoh, who was a horrible taskmaster. And any time they tried to do something better, Pharaoh made it even harder for them to work. Because that's how, that's the kind of guy he was. This is a beautiful picture of the believer, well, the person that needs to be delivered, but God has a purpose for them to be delivered from the power of Satan. The children of Israel in that story represent you and I, that we were once enslaved to sin. And our taskmaster was only getting harsher. And the longer we lived, the harder it was to exist. Maybe some of us here today are experiencing that. You know, at the beginning of life, we think we got the world by the tail. But the longer you live under the power of the enemy, you realize that he's just wearing you down. So God wanted a deliverer for the... Jewish people and he raised up a man named Moses. Moses who carried a wooden staff and God raised him up because he wanted these people free from the taskmaster Pharaoh and Pharaoh represents the devil who owned them manipulated them controlled everything in their lives but God raised up a man his name was Moses and Moses went to Pharaoh and he says the Lord is saying, set my people free. And he wouldn't do it because the devil wants to hold on to the people that are destined to become the sons and daughters of God. And he wouldn't do it. And Moses, as you know, released plagues upon the Egyptians to the point where they got so sick of the fact that Moses was destroying their own agendas that they told the, the, the children of Israel, the Jews, just leave Egypt. Just go. Get out of here. Here. Here's our silver. Here's our gold. Leave town. Go. Leave. And so they got saved. Moses delivered the children of Israel from Pharaoh, their enemy. And they're leaving Egypt and everything's cool. And Moses is out front with his staff. And they're moving forward. 
But there was something else that was very important at the beginning of their journey because they came up to the Red Sea. And when they got up to the Red Sea, Pharaoh's thinking, I don't want to lose these people. I want them back. Maybe Moses, maybe Moses delivered them, but I miss their slavery to me. So Pharaoh with his army begins to pursue the people that have been freed from the power of sin. But Moses is up against the Red Sea. What is he supposed to do? Well, Moses, by the direction of the Lord, takes his wooden staff and he holds it up in front of the Red Sea. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus holding up the wooden cross, the symbol and the power of his authority that Jesus came to set us completely free so that the enemy could own us no more. And he held up that staff and the wind blew and it parted the sea and it dried the ground. And the children of Israel went through the sea. You know what that is? It was the water of their baptism. They were saved, but now God was going to take them through the water of baptism. And they go through their baptism. And what happens? Pharaoh gets his arm and he says, we're going to go pursue them. So they start running after them. But you know what saved them? The water of their baptism and the marking of the Lord was part of the revelation of the salvation that God had for the Jews. He's saying, I'm not just going to forgive you. I'm going to destroy your enemy. And they went through the Red Sea and the waters collapsed on the enemies of the Jews and it became a reality to Pharaoh you will never again have power over the people of God. Never. Ever. Ever. If you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, the word of God is so specific. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. John, I'm sorry, Paul, in writing to the church of Rome, said, I'm convinced neither depth nor height nor angels nor powers nor principalities, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So today, believer, remember your baptism, no matter how far away you got. God invites you home. Don't ever allow words that condemn you to stop you living for God, ever. Put us, bury once and for all. Will we bury once and for all the hurts of the old man, the pre-Christian man? Will we bury that? And you say, well, some of the hurts happened after I came to Christ, but I just want to say this. The ability to be hurt by them is what's rooted in the old nature. You should be beyond being offendable. should be beyond being hurt by the words of people. Not listen I know it's hard but I'm just I'm just challenging us all in the Lord so God is good isn't he he really loves us 
Let's all stand up together. I thank you, Jesus, that you said you would never leave us or forsake us. I ask, Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord God, that they've been living under the power and the control of their old life and old nature. I pray, God, even now, let the Spirit of God rise up inside their hearts and strengthen and quicken their mortal self and bring them, Lord God, today into your fullness. I pray that people would decide that they would rather live the promises of God than to wallow in the accusations of the enemy. Thank you, Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just going to ask very simply, you can't come to this church and find personal transformation. I can't change you. No human can change you. You can't come and sit in church long enough until you become a, a child of God. By the confession of your mouth and placing your faith in Him, you will be saved. I want to invite you today to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ if you've never known Him. If you want to be identified by heaven rather than identified by the earth, that's what I'm asking you. You know, all have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous, not even one. All of us need to be forgiven. Jesus is offering forgiveness today. And if you're here and you've never met Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Again, this is not a ritual. But if you're saying, I want to, I want to pray to receive Jesus Christ in my heart today, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand just saying, today I want to be saved and I want to know that I know that I'm a child of God. And if you raise your hand, I'm going to let you know that, just to be fair, I'm going to invite you to come forward here in front of the church. I won't make you say anything. You don't need to look at anybody. But the Lord just says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father who is in heaven. And just in this quiet moment, I want you to know that God loves you and he always has and he always will. And he's calling you today. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. If you're here and you need Jesus, would you just lift up your hand saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in the closing prayer. If that's you, just lift up your hand. God bless you. Is there anyone else? This young lady who raised her hand, God is doing such a powerful thing in her life. We've all been sitting back and just wondering. If she raised her hand again today, she has in the past too, but you know, we're all in process. We're all in process. We're all learning the salvation of the Lord. It's such a good thing. Just rejoice with her. For the sake of the sister, let's just raise our hands together today. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I receive you into my heart. I declare today that you are my Lord and my Savior. From here on out, I live for you. Thank you for receiving me, Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness of the Lord. I pray, Lord God, as you live in me, let me live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sonia, come on forward here. Sonia's getting baptized today. God's, I mean, seriously, God's doing so much in her life. 
just want to pray for you, okay? Father, I just thank you for Sonia today, and I thank you, Lord God, for the work of grace being poured out in her heart. I thank you, Lord God, that you are faithful to forgive us when we confess our sins. I thank you for the sister in Christ. I thank you for her obedience and baptism. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give to her the desires of her heart, because I know she desires you. Just bless her, Lord God. Keep her. Watch over her. And Father, I thank you for what you're doing in her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, Sandy. Thank you. Amen. Good. We'll see you in a half hour. Yes. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> Father, just bless the people here today. Fill them with the joy of the Lord and peace. Give us a great time together this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming today. There will be folks here in the front to pray for you if you have any needs. The Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.